Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Going to pick up where I left off last week. I kind of intended to do the whole chapter last week, but I ran out of time. Well, I didn't run out of time. I could have taken the time, but it may not have been appreciated. <laughs> Might have had some burnt offerings at home. <laughs> so we'll pick up this morning in verse 8, Romans chapter 13. It says, O no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So I titled this this morning, The Christian's Practice of Love. The Christian's Practice of Love. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray, Father, as we look into the word of God this morning, that we open our hearts and our minds and concentrate and focus our thoughts upon thee and what you would have for us today and allow you to be glorified and honored in our lives and allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts and to see if there's things in our lives that are not pleasing, Father, that you might, we might purge them, cleanse us from all sin, and we might be vessels unto honor, and Father, sanctified meat for the master's use. So, Lord, just work and glorify yourself and be glory in your church. Father, if there's any in our midst who do not have the assurance of salvation, we never received the gift of love that God sent, his only begotten Son. I pray that the Spirit of God will work in that heart this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we, of course, we talked about the Christian citizen last week being subject to the powers, talking specifically about human government or forms of authority, God-ordained authority. And we are to be subject. And, of course, we said submission you know, is an attitude, more of an attitude. And really, it's an attitude that governs our actions governs our actions, as submission really is. And this morning, it really, this is really in context with all that. Uh, he talks about our practice one to another, and he says we are to owe no man anything but to love one another. And so as we consider our, our practice this morning, the Christian's practice, uh, we have, first of all, we have an obligation to pay our debts. Now, in context of Romans 13, we're talking about paying our taxes. Paying our taxes. Now, you know, you know that is the context. You know, I don't believe all debt is wrong. We are commanded to pay our debts and not assume more debt than we can pay. You know, to be in debt, though, is to be a servant. 
Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You know, I have a debt on my house, and so I'm a servant to the bank until that's paid off. I'm a servant. Uh, now, I've, I, you know, I, am, I am paying the debt as they ask me to pay it, and that's what I ought to do. I mean, we ought to be careful. You know, the Bible warns us about getting in debt and to avoid uh, uh, debt as much as possible. Uh, but I don't think all debt's wrong. But, but anyway, Proverbs 17, 18 also says, A man void of understanding striketh hands and becomes surety in the presence of his friends. So um, a man lacks, that's, that lacks understanding will, when it's talking about here, striketh hands, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll promise to pay somebody else's debt if they have problems. You know, it's like co-signing for somebody else. Be very wary of co-signing for somebody else. Uh, very leery of that uh, you know, and that's what he's warning here about, about co-signing but here in the context when he's talking about debt in the context of Romans 13 really what he's saying is we owe our authorities in this context human government you know, we owe them and we are to pay for the services they render to us now we can get into a discussion this morning legitimate discussion, and I'm not going to do that, that's not our purpose here today, about whether they are, their, a lot of the services they are rendering are right for government to do or not. And we would, you know, certainly there's a lot of things our government does that is not their responsibility to do. Well, if it's not their responsibility, Social Security is not their responsibility. But anyway, that's a whole other subject. Well, not in that. But we are to render to our human government, God has ordained human government, for the services they render to us. And some of the things that are legitimate that they do render for us is national defense. You know, to protect us from enemies without. You know, we have enemies that want to destroy us, want to infiltrate our country. Of course, that's the whole border issue is about. It's a lot of what that's about. Human trafficking going on there too. But anyway, you know, so... The, the government, our government, and our government was set up to, to provide for national defense, to protect us from our enemies. Of that. Uh, governments, our governments, state and local, provide highway building and maintenance. Not only so we can travel, but more importantly, to transmit goods and services. You know, if we didn't have highways, how are you going to get to work? How are you going to get food shipped from one place to another? You know, and, and materials and, 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 you know, building materials and all that. So, so we, need, we need highways and we need, you know, building of highways and, and maintenance. You know, it's really the backbone of our economy. It's necessary. So if you don't want to pay your taxes, don't drive on the roads. Uh, police protection, which state and local, well, that has to do with state and local governments. But, you know, so that's protection from domestic crime, enemies within the country, uh, of course, a lot of fire departments now are, are uh, funded by, by government money. You know, all of these require money to operate. Millions and billions of dollars a year goes into defense. And millions and billions of dollars. I, I was told years ago that it costs a million dollars a mile to build a road. That's probably more than that now. So these all require money to operate. And... We are not to be in debt to our society, living off our society, but contributing to it. 
We're going to be contributors to our society. We are to pay our taxes. We are to pay our taxes. We ought to owe no man anything. We ought not, as Christians, ought not to have anybody be able to say to us, you're a, you're a consumer to our society. You're just sponging off everyone else. Now, again, I realize there are many things our tax dollars are wasted on, but that does not exempt us from rendering to Caesar that which is Caesar. Remember, who's writing this and what government he was under? There was a lot of waste in Roman government, just like there's a lot of waste in American government. And yet Paul is writing this to the churches in Rome at that time. I mean, think about it. Rome was spending tax dollars to arrest and persecute Christians. And yet Paul says we need to be subject to the powers that be and to pay our debt to those powers. We are to be submitted to them. We are to be subject to them. Again, submission, as a, submission. I thought about this, submission is an attitude that governs our actions. You know, obedience is the doing of the actions. So you can be submissive and yet not do what they tell you. You can have a submissive attitude and yet not do what they tell you if they command you to do something that is contrary to a higher authority, which would be God. You know, I believe Peter and John were submissive in their attitude to the Sanhedrin, yet they said we must obey God rather than man. So we do have an obligation as Christians to pay our debts. We're to pay our debts. We notice here a second thing. We also owe a debt of love. Again, verses 8 through 11 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. But he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So we owe a debt. You know, he says, owe no man anything, but to love one another. To love one another. In this, loving one another should describe the new nature of the child of God. You know, it's not just a matter of law-keeping. Of law-keeping. Of doing certain things to meet a certain standard. You know, really, doing certain things to meet a certain standard is a works-based salvation. Your love should flow from the inner man who is born again by the Spirit of God. It should be a natural outflow of the work of the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. In Romans 5, 5, Paul said, And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That, the word there, shed abroad, means an abundant bestowal of the love of God is given to us, by God's Spirit that ought to pour out. It ought to pour out. 
You know, when, after, when, when Saul got saved, all of a sudden he had a love for people whom before he hated. Before he hated. What caused the change? It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God in his life. He had a love that was shed abroad. It was pouring out. And that's what drove him uh, to do the things that he did. You know, and, this, and the way God's love is demonstrated to the world is through his vessels, through us. It was interesting, uh, Brother Custer said the other night that, you know, uh, that, that the way, and he mentioned this, the way people see God in the world today is, is they can't see God. You know, he's, he's not visibly here, is, is they see him through us. We're his representation. You know, Jesus Christ was a demonstration of God's love to the world. God commended his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ had not died for us. But he is not here in person. And a lost person can't relate to him, but they can relate to us. Because they can't see him. And Jesus has left us here for such a time as this to express his love to the world through us. You know, it's a great privilege and responsibility we have. Look at Romans chapter 1. Paul talked about this debt of love in Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Romans 1, 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he says, I'm a debtor. You know, I'm, no, I don't, he doesn't owe them money. He's not talking about money. That's not the debt he's talking about. I'm a debtor to share with you the love of God to sinners and, and need of a Savior. That's what I have a debt to. I have a debt of love to you. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth me. And that word constraineth me has, means a driving force, a compelling force. So the love of Christ constraineth me because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them, unto him which died for them and rose again. So he said, the love of Christ constraineth me, it compels me, that I don't just live for myself anymore. The love of God is being shed abroad, it's pouring out of me to live for him, to glorify him, and to serve you. To demonstrate his love to you in my body. See, we're not to live under ourselves, but for Christ, by loving people. And you know, there's no greater way to love people than by being a living, breathing witness to them. An example of the Lord. You Think about it. It's the greatest thing you can do for your country. You know, some, some people get the idea, well, the greatest thing you can do is go in the military. You know, our problem isn't a defensive one. That's not what's destroying our country. Lack of a military. What's destroying our country is a spiritual problem. 
That's what's destroying our country. You know, it's an interesting story account in Luke chapter 7. Remember the centurion whose servant was sick? Centurion at Capernaum. His servant was sick, so he sent the elders of the Jews to Jesus, asking Jesus to come and heal him. And the elders of the Jews said this, He is worthy, for he loveth our nation, for he hath built us a synagogue. He loves our nation. And you know how he shows he loved our nation? He built us a synagogue. The synagogue was the assembly where God's people met together on the Sabbath day and read the scriptures and studied the scriptures. See, if you love your nation, you will endeavor to help build assemblies. You will give yourself as a witness to the truth. That God loves you. Christ died for you. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. You know, this love, again, ought to be an outpouring of the Spirit of God, which dwells within us if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Yeah, that's a pretty strong statement. Verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Then again, verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? You know, the word loveth here, in verse, verse 8 and verse, verse 20, it means to be full of goodwill and exhibit the saint. The word involves the idea of affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, grateful recognition of benefits. So it's to be full of goodwill and exhibit that saint. Affectionate reverence. Respect one for another. You know, if there is not in you or from within your spirit an outpouring of the love of God, something wrong. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Again, this love of God works from the inner man. You know, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, when, when Saul got saved, the Spirit of God began to work in his heart, and what started coming out of his heart was no longer the hatred and vengeance against God's people, but a love for. It was the will. God gave him a will to do, a desire to do, a desire to love. God's people, and the lost for whom Christ died.
Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one? Love. Love. John 13, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. You know, some people will do what needs to be done to get them a sense of security. But salvation is not a doing. It's a receiving. It's receiving of the love of God. I'm afraid sometimes too many people are like Simon. They want the benefits of salvation, but not the Lord of salvation. You know, Simon just wanted the power to work miracles. Sometimes people just want to be delivered from their problems. In fact, I'm here. They're no longer here. They want delivered from the problems. But they didn't want to surrender to the Lord. Simon didn't want to surrender to the Lord. He just wanted the power that, went, that the disciples had. He wanted the benefits. See, we've been told too long... Well, you just need to pray and ask the Lord to save you. Show me where that's in the Bible. Do you ask for gifts? No, you receive them. Your prayer is worship. It's work. Cornelius' prayer did not save him. Do you know that Cornelius got saved while Peter was preaching? Let me say that again. Cornelius got saved while Peter was preaching. In other words, in other words Cornelius submitted himself, surrendered his heart to the Lord while Peter was preaching. Not while he was praying. It was simply an act of submission of his heart. Now, you may have prayed when you went through all that. But the question is, did you submit your heart? You know, we, you know, people like to, well, you just need to call on the name of the Lord. Well, you know what call means? It means to worship, to reverence, to defer to, to yield to, to surrender. You know, Acts 16 and 31, Paul didn't tell the Philippian jailer to pray and ask the Lord. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the word believe there means to properly, to have faith directed unto, to give oneself up to, to surrender. You see, and when we surrender ourselves to the Lord and the Spirit of God takes residence, He begins to work in our life and bring forth a new heart, a new will, a love. And we have an obligation or a debt of love to the world, to the lost, to one another. But you'll notice a thing here this morning uh, notice the crisis of service and notice in verses 11 through Romans chapter 13 and that knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe 
The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us, let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fill the lust thereof. So we see here, we, we see here, we have a, we have a, a crisis of service. You know, it is high time, he says, when the phrase high time, he's referring to the last hour or the end of this age, the very near return of Christ from heaven. Now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. You know, deliverance from this present evil world is near. The rapture of the saints is imminent, is what he says. So it is time to awake. Awake. That word awake means to arise from a state of moral law to an act of life devoted to God. We need to awake. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, said, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some not have not the knowledge of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, and uh, verses uh, 14 through 17, he says, see, uh, verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. See, we, have a, we owe a debt of love to the world, and it's time for us to awake and to be aware of the, the condition, the lost condition of the world and those around us, and, and, and walk circumspectly, that means to be careful, be diligent, use wisdom. Using the opportunities that God gives us. That's what redeeming the time means. So we need to consider our salvation seriously and our life of service for him, which should flow from a heart of love and gratitude for him. Awake. He says, cast off the works of darkness. We need to put off or put away anything that's un ungodly in practice or principle. We're to put on the armor of light, righteousness, faith, the helmet of salvation, you know, trusting in the living God, living holy lives before a lost and dying world. You know, we are engaged in a spiritual warfare and we need the armor of God. And he says not, and he gives some things that we should not be doing. And he lists them here, riding, drunkenness, chambering, oneness. Riding speaks of feasts, drinking parties that are protracted until late at night and indulge in revel revelry. Drunkenness, of course, that's intoxication, drunkenness. Uh, chambering, which would be uh, uh, illicit sex and prostitution. You know, all those kind of things were accepted in that day. Uh, wantonness. Plural, means plural wanton acts or manners as filthy words, indecent body movements, unchaste handling of males and females. You know what that sounds like to me? The modern dance. Where they handle each other's bodies. Of course, there's a lot more involved in that too. But, but, but the point is this. These things will enslave your life. And rob you of your strength. Dull your senses. Corrupt your mind. And render you and I useless and ineffective. 
hey, if you're one of these people that stays up till wee hours in the morning, how effective are you during the day? Now, maybe you work nights. You know, that's another story. The point is this. We need to get ample rest. Yeah, we are, we are engaged in a battle. And we need the strength of mind and body to fight the battle. We can't have, we can't have a split focus. I remember, you know, we're talking about chambering here, one of the, one of the things, and wantonness. I remember a man, back when I was still farming, we were putting in, putting in a bulk tank a milk bulk tank on the farm. And we had two men come to do it. And these two men had, each had their own businesses like. The one was an older gentleman, and the one was, was probably in his 40s. And the one was about retirement age, but he didn't retire because he was so uh, wanted by f- dairy farmers. He was the refrigerant man of the valley. If you wanted somebody who knew what to do, and you called Joe. Anyway, they were there, and we got these two guys to put in our bulk tank. And, uh, and, and this younger man was very talented and very good at what he does, but this older man said this. Uh, and, and he taught him, but he said he'll never amount to much trying to juggle between two women. You know, basically what he said, until he gets that straightened out, You see, when our focus is divided, when we've got one foot in the world and, and the other foot we're trying to serve God, our effectiveness is not going to be very good. It's like trying to fight on both sides of the battlefield. You know, and Paul was telling these Christians in Rome, look, you need to get, you need to, you need to, you know, this is the stuff the world does, and you need to you need to, to cast it off because it is sapping your strength. It's going to sap your vigor. It's going to dull your sensitivity to the things of God and corrupt your minds. You know, why would we love the world? The world doesn't love us in return. So cast off the works of darkness. We need to conduct ourselves honestly, verse 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not honestly as in the day. The word honestly means in a seemly decent manner, behavior that is fitting our calling. You know, we are called to be saints. We are to be sober-minded, thinking seriously about life's purpose, not in useless vanities of this world. You know, it's so easy to get sidetracked by useless vanities of this world. There can be even things that are they're not wrong in themselves, but we can, get, we can get sidetracked into spending so much time in that that it becomes a, a, a distraction to us. You know, one of the things I have to work at constantly is guarding against reading too many news item re- emails. They just irritate me to start with, make me angry, and frustrate me to no end. You know, I can spend too much time in that. And you know what suffers? This right here. You 
And then third thing, the fourth thing he says here is we're to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to feel the lusts thereof. The, being clothed in the righteousness of Christ has the idea of a, a sense of sinking into a garment. Or to assume the character of. So he says we're to assume the character of Christ. You know, Ephesians 4.24 says that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10 says, For you are sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable on the Lord. Remember in Luke chapter 8, they, Jesus encountered the demoniac of Gadara. And he cast out the demons into the swine and so on. You know what happened to swine. And, 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 and uh, you know, he, he wear no clothes, he lived in the tombs, and no man can tame him, and he was just a wild man. And all the city come out to ask Jesus to leave, and they see this man, verse 35 says, they went out to see what was done, and came to Jesus and found the man, out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. He was clothed. He was in his right mind. And he had assumed, we would say, he had assumed the character of Christ. He wanted to follow him. He asked the Lord, Can I? he wanted to follow him. And Jesus said, go back to your own house and tell what great things God hath done for thee. He wanted to be a disciple of Christ. He wanted to be among the disciples that followed Jesus wherever he went. He had assumed the character of Christ. He was clothed in his right mind. And he went back to his home and he published to the whole region about Christ. And the next time Jesus came to this area, you know what? They received him. He shared a love, a debt of love he owed to his own people. You see, we have a debt. We are indebted. We are indebted to the world to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, not all of them are going to receive it. But it is our responsibility. Do you ever think about why we're still here? If God saved us just to take us to heaven, why are we here? Because we're here to represent him. To demonstrate the love of God to a lost and dying world. That's why we're here. Is God manifesting his love in your life? Is the love of God being shed abroad in your heart? Or are you more interested in fulfilling desires of your own heart? And what brings pleasure and recognition and applause to you? You see... We owe a debt. Yes, we're to pay our taxes. We're to owe a debt to our, our authorities that God has placed over us. But we owe a debt to our Heavenly Father, our authority. We are ambassadors for Christ. 
might God help us to demonstrate God's love to a lost and dying world until he comes for us. Are you doing that this morning? Are you endeavoring to do that this morning?